good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Ask Me Anything About Employment with Lou Orslin. My name is David Blair, and I'll be your moderator today. This webinar is not a presentation, but an interactive question and answer period. And for the next hour, Lou will take any questions you have related to disclosure and accommodation. Uh, Lou has over 25 years of experience in the field of disability employment. He's the co-director of the Job Accommodation Network, or JAN, and fiscal officer uh, for both JAN and the Disability Research Policy Center at West Virginia University. Uh, JAN is the premier national resource for free expert and confidential guidance on workplace accommodations and disability employment. Today's event is part of the National Resource Center on Employment, jointly funded by the National Institute on Disability, Independent Living, and Rehabilitation Research, and from the Center for Mental Health Services within the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration, uh, part of the Department of Health and Human Services. The content of this webinar does not represent the views or policies of the funding agencies, and you should not assume endorsement by the federal government. During registration for this event, you were given the opportunity to submit a question in advance. So with that, welcome to the webinar, and I hope you enjoy the next hour. Uh, Lou, welcome. I'm, I'm really glad to have you here today, and, and a lot of people have a lot of great questions. I'm going to start with one of the ones that was submitted in advance. And then we'll go from there. Hey, David, I just wanted to thank you guys very much for this opportunity for us to, 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 um, to speak today. And just to let everybody know that in, in addition to me, um, I was, uh, I'm very lucky that Melanie Wessel, our lead consultant on the mental health team, was able to join us this afternoon as well. So we'll both be fielding. So again, thanks oh, for the well, opportunity. And yeah, and by all means, let's, let's get into the question. Yeah, and, and welcome, Melanie. I really hope you do share with us any advice you have, and you can both answer all the questions. Uh, I think you bring, you know, a different perspective, so, or, or the same, even, and that's fine. So, uh, our first question comes from uh, Angela, and she asks, when do I need to disclose to an employer that I need an accommodation, and to whom should I disclose it to? As a third party, how can we best help our clients with disabilities maintain employment while still being transparent with their employer? So it's three in one, but I, I think they're all they are related. And I, I think I'll start with the third one first. Um, I think as a service provider, you really need to provide let, let the person be the lead on in terms of their disclosure um, and what information is shared with the employer. So uh, I think that's that's really important in all the work that we do. The person themselves, whoever you're supporting, really needs to be the lead on that. They need to make an educated choice uh, um, about disclosure. So let's just talk about disclosure then. You know, under the uh, Americans with Disabilities Act, uh, the way that the regulations are and practice is, is that the person themselves really needs to disclose their disability lawyer. It's their obligation. Um, and certainly what we need to do is we really need for that person to, to be, again, informed about the implications of that disclosure. And there are a number of great resources out there. For instance, uh, the youthful collaboration at one of the TA centers, the technical assistance centers at the Office of Disability Employment Policy have um, a, a publication uh, disclosed, the 411 of disclosure. There's two of them, one for an individual uh, uh, and then one for service providers, advocates, and parents. Um, so I would encourage folks to dive into those really to, to look at the pros, the cons, and to make an informed decision about disclosure. 
Um, disclosure, I, I'd say, and, and I'll rely on uh, Melanie uh, to, to give us her opinion as well. I, I think it's very situational. Um, I think to determine when you need request an accommodation uh, or disclose, I think a disclosure really needs to uh, needs to address um, some kind of accommodation. Um, however, if you have a company that you know is very inclusive, um, is very far along in, on the what I call one companies like E&Y, companies like Northrop Grumman, large companies which are very well known, are highly rated, are at the, you know, or belong to the United States Network, um, are on the top 10 companies of Diversity Inc. list of companies that are friends with disabilities, then, uh, you know, it, it's a much more open environment uh, and you can, of course, um, discuss, I think, more readily disability uh, in companies such as those that are very inclusive. Um, but typically people will wait until they need an accommodation. So, but if you need an accommodation during the recruiting process, say for instance that you're really not able to call uh, an applicant tracking system, which are the online career portals that many companies, then at that point, if you can't use it, you can't get it, um, then at that, that point you would ask for an accommodation. Or perhaps um, you can get through the applicant tracking system and you're invited in for the first interview. Um, and for that, realizing, you know, the, the company has provided instructions of when to arrive, what the building's like, what the expectation is of the interview, and say, for instance, that you have a very challenging time during um, these interviews at some companies where there are multiple, multiple people shooting questions at you in a conference room. Then if you need an accommodation, ask for a more quiet environment or, or you ask for a change in that interview process. Um, then that would be the appropriate time to ask for an accommodation. Um, and then you may not, on, on, in either of those circumstances, but you may need one, say, during the on or once you're an employee of the organized. So at that point. So um, I think overall, uh, the point that I really want to make is um, disclosure is very personal, first of all. Um, you really need to be educated in terms of the pros and cons of disclosure. Um, and then it's also very situational in that. Um, I would encourage people to uh, learn as much as possible about the company that they are applying um, so that they know where that company is on the inclusion continuum, how friendly they are to people with disabilities, and I think that will, too, assist the person in making that determination of um, how and when. Um, I, I, before I turn it over to Mel, I'm sorry, didn't mean to monopolize this totally, but um, I, I would also encourage that the individual, the applicant, candidate, or employee um, really seek out the policies of that compromise. That really is going to tell you who to disclose to. While we know from research conducted by Cornell that most people will, or a great many people will, disclose to their immediate supervisor, uh, in most companies, in many companies, there are policies, and either you may go to a representative resources in employee relations, or some of the more inclusive companies these days have diverse departments, and one would go to a representative. Um, typically, there is a subject matter expert, um, a disability consultant within d and um, and one Yeah, no, the only thing I was going to say is a lot of times employees uh, don't want their supervisor about that's why the idea to go to supervisor involved process. And one other thing is you just, you don't want to wait too late 
to disclose funds want to disclose becomes too much of a problem because the employer doesn't have any kind of that. Um, and if I could just answer that too, sure. I totally agree that. And I think that that's, that's one of the most important parts um, or point to make because I think that if you wait too long and there is discipline, then in that disciplinary meeting or that counseling session, that the reasonable accommodation request gets very muddled um, and, and questioned. Like, why didn't you ask before? Are you using this such? I mean, sometimes it has to happen that way, and it happens. It's not optimal. And you want to, I think, you know, whether one is a supervisor or whether one is the employee, you want to avoid disclosure and request for a conversation or uh, around disclosure there's a lot of questions that people submitted um and so i'm going to try to kind of go through those here and maybe we can spend the whole beginning of this just going through things just around disclosure uh because it's such a big big topic area um before i do that uh james uh, in the room just asked, did he say it is an obligation of the client to disclose? Under the uh, Americans with Disabilities Act, it is the um, obligation of the individual to disclose and request. Okay. Unless, unless, it is, unless it's a disability that's known by the employer. So say, for instance, and, and you know, we could tease this out a little bit further, but I would say most generally it is the responsibility of the employees. There are circumstances someone is injured at work. Um, someone has taken Family Medical Leave Act. So the organization is aware of their disability. Um, they've been certified. They understand the disability has happened. So in that circumstance, then the employer should just be um, um, negotiating and should just be talking about accommodation. So everybody is aware that there is a disability that's impact work. Um, but those those are the more rare circumstances. In most circumstances, it is going. Okay. And in the case of someone with like a developmental disability or like not really get in a clear realize help that we have start that. And certainly, okay. an advocate or a family member um, could be part of that disclosure and request for a comment. Okay, and and then to to summarize in terms of the timing of the disclosure, it seems to be the answer is before you need it not in the heat of the moment because that'll muddle the message. Um, and it doesn't help. Go ahead, you You look like you, I said something wrong there. Yeah, no, not not before you need it. It would be as you. Um, okay. So, okay. so for instance, and I'll give you a for instance here because I, I do want to be real. So, you know, there are circumstances where people are um, very open um, and very generous with information and they want to be very on. Um, so you go into an employer, and during the initial interview, um, you disclose a disability, and you're, you don't need an accommodation. Um, unless it is a very inclusive organization that is very far on, we would suggest, and I would certainly suggest against that, um, I, I would really just wait I, I would wait until I so if I could not because of a cognitive impairment that I had related maybe to my medication that I'm taking and therefore I'm not able to quickly go through the applicant tracking system, the career portal to put my application in online. If I'm having that issue there, then I'm going to request an accommodation at that point. I think the point that Melanie and I were making is if it's a performance issue, that you do not want to um, uh, wait until there is a performance. And I'm really glad okay. we're really discussing this thoroughly because this is, it is very, it, it, it is very, there are lots of nuances of it. So we'll hit it as many times as we need to, right, Mel? 
to, yes. to, to, to get Yes, and, and let me just say this, too, that, that sometimes an employee doesn't realize that their performance or, or their employer can bring that to their then it, it opens up that uh, pathway for a discussion about it. So, so going off of all of that, one of the questions in, that someone submitted in advance, it's actually happened multiple times, is in job applications, it asks if you need an accommodation. And the question is, you know, if they say no there, you know, what's the repercussion? That, I think that uh, corporations um, are simply trying to comply um, and to be open with people with disability by including that on their job app. Um, my presumption there would be that they're uh, on the application itself, uh, that, that that specific um, request is such that just so that you know that the company is open, uh, a request for accommodation and disclosure um, throughout the hiring process. So if you need an accommodation for that process, um, again, if that statement is on your on an applicant training uh, tracking system uh, um, online, uh, then unless you would need that accommodation specifically for the process that you're now engaged in. Um, I, I see no reason to close and to ask for it. Um, and so I'm trying to group questions because there's so many very, very sure, similar sure. questions that people ask. Um, Deborah, Leslie, uh, people from all over asking, uh, what's the best way to disclose uh, in an individual's disability to a potential? So how do you talk? Okay. So I really think that um, the best way is to be proactive and to think, um, First of all, and I hit this already, but I would encourage people again to understand their internal process. That's really important because there are there very well may be a form that you need to disclose. There may be a specific person that you need to disclose to. You need you know so there's there's a number of things within the process, the, the enterprise, the company's process. So that's I think that that's what I would encourage first is to know what the process is. So you can do it appropriately. Um, then I think what's also important is to really think about what your impairment, your disability, your chronic health condition, um, the, the challenge that it's presenting at work. Um, and I encourage that because oftentimes the employer is not fluent or is not very educated in terms of specific disabilities. So they don't know the implications of that in the workplace. So you, you as the person with a disability need to build that bridge for them. You need to help them understand that, you know, again, I, I'm, I have a medication change. I have to take it at, you know, at 7 o'clock in the morning, um, and this really creates an issue with me being at work at 8. Um, so can I have a more flexible schedule for the next three weeks? until that, that clearly, um, something like that. So um, you, you really need to build the bridge um, for the employer to help them understand, I, I am a person with a disability. This is, this is uh, challenges, the, the limitations that I'm facing because of this disability at this moment. Um, and this is what I have to do at work, and this is where it's creating the challenge for me. So let me just think about different ideas, how we can um, overcome, and then propose a few accommodations. And that's where the, the job accommodation network can come in. You know, for you to be proactive and be prepared, you can call Melanie. Melanie can talk you through it, offer a number of different accommodations uh, that might work for you in that circumstance, and then you can propose different uh, accommodations. And you can just say, and, and you know, the employer may think, oh, well, this one doesn't work, but yeah, maybe that one works. So let's go with that one. Yeah, and I, and I think one of the things you need to be prepared, the uh, individual your medical employer can request 
that they have medical doc and shows that the person does have so you want to add and think how much you can possibly have that letter or the information from the doctor ready to provide when you ask. As Lou said, there may be internal policy or sometimes they don't write a letter. We recommend that they put the, the request in writing, but you're not required to do that. Something as simple as, hey, I'm having trouble getting to work on time because of medication I take for medic talk about that. And so it can be that simple. Have that written. You can always talk to your employer about it and then follow that up in writing. And that just gives you doc did ask for an accommodation. And, and so everyone knows that we do have um, an accommodation form. If you are at one of those employers that really are not familiar with this process, do not have a good process or a form in place, then we do have a form that you can complete um, and attach your medical information uh, that too in order to, to provide that accommodation. We also have um, a mobile accommodation solution app. Um, it's a free downloadable app. Uh, and as an individual with a disability, you can go in and use that app to, to track your accommodations, make notes on your accommodations, and um, complete a form, the interactive uh, uh, request form, and then submit that to your employer. So that's one of the tools that um, we provide. And, and what was the name of that app? It's the Mobile Accommodation Solution app. Um, and it's in the Apple Store as well as... Um, um, something that isn't asked directly in the questions, but it, it seems implied, is that a lot of people don't have the words to use to begin the comp. They don't know how to approach it. And I, I think that's what they're getting at to when they say, what is the best way? Is they, they need, like, the sentence to begin the conversation, and they just don't have that. Do you, do you have something like that for them? Um, we have a, a simple uh, sample, simple sample accommodation letter. Mm -hmm. And it just simply states, I'm asking for an accommodation, or like I stated earlier, I'm having trouble um, getting my report to done on time because I, I get distracted in the app. You know, it can be as simple as that, just so that the employer, at, at first, just so the employer understands what you're saying, that, that there is a problem conduct, and you're relating it to back. Just, you know, if a person just goes to their employer and says, you know, I, hey, I'm just kind of distracted, doesn't relate it to a medical condition or a disability, the employer's not sure if that's ADA or what, and, and so they can always ask questions to clarify. But it's a really good idea to, to think that through the simplest way possible, explain what the difficulties that you're having on the job and how your disability relates. And, and, and I think, too, the context, uh, the environment's really important, too. So what would I, I would also encourage people to do is to plan it, mm -hmm. schedule it, uh, ask for a private room, uh, you, it, this isn't something that you want to talk about in the hallway uh, while you're in between projects. Or in, um, this is something that is very personal, very private, and you really want your the full attention. So I think setting up the important is how you. So set it up, private room, conference room with your supervisor. Perhaps HR needs to be involved because they're more um, educated about really what needs to happen, and they're listening um, for a request for accommodation. Uh, and then, uh, as, as Melanie said, just just put it out. I, I'm I'm really having a problem doing this. This is the impairment or chronic health condition I have. Thinking that these things might help me. What do you? Um, and, and I think really to, to humanize it as much as possible and to uh, make it as least intimidating as possible and, and as positive as possible too. So you come with options. You're not just coming to just you know put it all out there and for them to solve all of the issues. Um, you're, you want to propose some ideas. You know, you're part of the discussion. You're part of the negotiation. I think that's, that's really um, important because, as we know, even in this day and age, um, I mean, there's just still so much stigma around disability and even more so around mental health. We all wish it wasn't so, but it, um, so we need to deal with that.
Um, and the way that we deal with that is just to be prepared. We want to normalize mental health um, uh, conversations as much as possible, workplace, um, as much as we need to in order to disclose and ask for an accommodation. Um, and this is the way, very authentic, we're going to be very human, um, and, and let's just take the intimidation out of it for everybody. This is what I'm experiencing. Kind of what uh, this is from Mercy and Ilan, and they both uh, are asking about ways to find jobs from employers who are accommodating. You know, is there a resource out there that, you know, is a collection of these employers are really progressive? Or, you know, how do they identify uh, the type of employers that will work well with people with disabilities? So, so there's a number of things that I, I would look for. First of all, um, uh, I had mentioned the United States Business Leadership Network before. I would go to the USBON site and look at all the corporations who have sponsored and who are engaged in the U.S. I would go to Diversity, Inc., um, a magazine. Um, I would put in my web browser 10 top companies for disability in Disability Inc. And you will pull up those 10 companies that are most inclusive of people with disabilities. Um, so I would, that's, that's what I would start doing. I, I would also be aware that in the federal sector that there is a Schedule A um, provision uh, which is an affirmative, in many ways, uh, an affirmative action program for people with disabilities to become hired um, in the federal government. Um, so I would know that, that the federal government would be in that, it would be in my. So if I was doing the discovery in order to approach employers, that, that's sort of the approach that I would take. Now, if I were just looking at a specific employer, I would go to their website. Um, I would want to know if, I would want to know how, how they, provide their um, equal employment opportunity state. Is it buried somewhere, 10 pages, 10 clicks, um, or is it on the third page? I would go to the career portal. Um, how about their, uh, a button that says request an accommodation? Is that on the first page, second page, third page, or is that buried seven clicks? Um, those are some of the things that tell me that the company is more inclusive and thinking about. Uh, I would look at their visuals. I would look at any marketing. Um, are individuals with disabilities, with various disabilities included in their market? So that's, that's some of the ways that I would, some of the cues that I would use to know whether or not that, that company of, and then the further that informs me in terms of my, um, the way that I disclose, when I disclose, who I disclose to. So it builds out this, this scenario for me. Uh, so I know what I Well, with that, then we'll move on to a question. Um, Joan asks, what is the best practice uh, for corrective actions with individuals who self-sabotage their jobs and will not give a valid reason for the sabotage? After losing the job that was connected to their specific career path, they complain about needing a job, so they want to resume the job search in the same area. So, and they say it also seems to be connected to attention. Well, you know, it's, it's, I think that's one of the toughest situations, a very challenging situation. Um, I, I think, though, that uh, ultimately um, people should be allowed to fail. And if they sabotage themselves um, and they're getting the other supports that they need, um, I'm not sure that there's a lot about it. And, you know, it's, it's so complicated because, as I mentioned before, the stigma with mental health. Um, my experience is that I've seen people um, lose their jobs uh, instead of really being upfront um, and be willing to put themselves out there to disclose and ask for an accommodation that, that we believe could work. Again, that's not a decision that I can make for anybody besides myself. 
Um, and if that's their decision, uh, then, you know, then I'm not sure that there's, there's much that we can do about that. Um, if they have very specific sabotage behaviors, I mean, I'm supporting that person, I'm an advocate, family member, then um, I'm certainly going to engage with them and point out those sabotage behaviors and just talk about what, you know, what my experience is as, as their advocate or family member in seeing this happen and see if there's any way that I can influence that, their behavior um, ultimately with, with, with a job. I, I was just thinking about that. And if they're, if they're still employed, then always remember, too, that many of the large employers have um, employee assistance programs, EAPs, as they're traditionally called, although sometimes they're called different things in enterprises within companies. So if you now if I'm a coworker um, and that person engages with me uh, and I'm close enough for them to disclose and for them to ask my support, then you may want to direct people assistance program of the of the company, and perhaps they can help them, uh, and they can counsel them and provide that support so that they can be more objective about sabotage. But I, I admittedly that's. I think this is that's one of that's one of the largest challenges sometimes. All right, thank you. Debbie in the room asks, what are the separate obligations for communications related accommodations, even as they might apply to a person with an intellectual disability, spectrum related functional limitations, et cetera? Yeah, so and and I think you know the broader subject is disclosing and dealing with uh, intellectual disabilities as well. Um, but sure. but her specific question is, what are the separate obligations? for communications-related accommodations, even as they might apply to a person with an intellectual disability, spectrum-related uh, functional limitations, et cetera. Sure. And, and, and the complexity there, of course, is, you know, is there a service provider um, involved? Um, I'm going to uh, presume that if somebody has an intellectual disability, uh, that the, the, they may be working with a supervisor, I mean, a, a service provider, and the employer may be informed. Um, I can tell you when we talk to employers, uh, you know, we, we coach them on when you are working with somebody with an intellectual disability that, you know, to, to, to very closely monitor your language so that they're certainly understand on what you're requesting. Of. So, uh, and, and in terms of communication, you know, again, uh, as Melanie stated, uh, you know, under the law and under the regulation, um, it's just required that the person uh, share that they have a medical condition that um, it's interfering with work. So uh, it could be a very simple verbal statement, um, which again, on the flip side, when we talk to employers and supervisors, uh, you know, oftentimes what we just suggest is if somebody brings up a medical condition, uh, then you, then they have the responsibility to clarify with that person to really understand why they're disclosing that disability because uh, it, it may be accommodation related or it, it may not. Best practice there, I think, for employers really is just to take a step back and just say, you know, I, I understand that you're disclosing this medical, um, but uh, what I need to do to understand to make sure that I, I live up to my responsibility and I comply with the law is to understand if you're asked. So, you know, that's what we, uh, and again, so, so, so if we're looking at just specific communication, so it could be simple, that simple verbal statement, right? Um, or it could be that that advocate, service provider, family member assists the person with that letter, you know, and using the format and using the letter, that the interactive form that, that we've developed. 
Um, so, you know, either of those approaches, I think, could be effective in, in the class. I, I hope um, we were clear on that. I'm still not sure that we really hit that. We hit that well. But if, if the person could ask supplemental questions or if they can tease it out a little better for us, then we're, we're certainly okay. Yeah, and I don't see anything from them yet. But if they do post again, I'll, I'll bring it back up. Um, I've got in a couple of questions here in the room now, and even in the, the submitted ones, uh, but, uh, around disclosing anxiety, uh, you know, disability request. And people seem to, you know, want to help how to specifically go about an anxiety-related uh, accommodation request. Do you have advice that's specific to them, or is it, is it the same as what you've been I, I think one of the things people want to be uh, clear on is is they need to provide about what's caused that that's what it comes down to how do, a lot of times employers uh, from the information that we receive employers will get requests from doc stress-free job or an anxiety-free workplace and that's not really possible um but at least i, I don't want to think that is right i don't think so so, so what is it about the, the workplace or the job that is caused maybe uh, something you know in their personal life things from home that that are an issue, but but what are the things on the job that are that are exacerbating the anxiety? You know, is it the labor act, job tasks that are a certain order that need to be done in a certain order? You know, it needs they have that specific, so the employer can understand that because if they're going to try to reduce that anxiety in the workplace, they really need to know where that anxiety is coming. And again, I just want to hone in on what I said earlier too. Is so so when you're looking at disclosure and requesting accommodation, you have. A medical condition you want to list. You are having a challenge at work, which you want to provide to the employer. So you're building that bridge. And then, if possible, you want to propose a couple of solutions, right? You want to be proactive and as positive as possible. Um, and and that's, that's really the way. Um, so just moving, moving along so we can get through more of these. Uh, this question is kind of flipping the, the, the question around. It's with Polly. And she, they asked, what questions can the HR a uh, human resources person ask a candidate with disability about their disability. When, so as the employer, what can I ask someone who's disclosed? Well, I, I, and, and, and that, that last part of it is, is really what I'm listening for because um, I wouldn't expect that anyone would be asking about my disability unless I disclose and let them know that I had some kind of limit. I was having a challenge. So really people should not be in HR, ER, or diversity and inclusion should be asking about this. Um, and there's an exception, and I'll talk about that, but uh, unless you've disclosed, right? And then once you've disclosed and you're asking for an accommodation, then they engage in what's called the interactive process. And then it's their obligation, really, to sort out um, whether your uh, disability is covered, um, whether they understand enough about your disability that they can and accommodations um, and then understand the kind of uh, accommodations that could work for you in that specific. So I hope that's clear. The, the, the exception to that, of course, is that if one, if a company is, has a federal contract uh, with a federal, has a contract with the federal government, um, in which case uh, they fall under Section 503 under the Rehabilitation Act, uh, they more than likely have to have uh, an uh, affirmative action depending upon the cost of the contract that will um, so they'll, they'll have to have an affirmative action program um, and what they'll have to do is that there is a goal out there of seven percent of your workforce should be people with disabilities that's an aspirational goal um, so in order to meet that goal they have to uh, collect so uh, everyone that's hired
hired with that federal contractor um, may be asked to self-identify um, and to complete a form, which is a governmental form designed by the department. Um, so in that circumstance, you may run uh, that type of, um, and that we call that self-identify, not disclosure. And it's, but it's very confusing for people. I can just tell you. And I can tell you it's confusing for supervisors and it's confusing for individuals with disabilities looking for work, starting to work at an organization when that form is presented to them. But so there's just two distinct, very distinct processes. You know, one is requesting, disclosing, requesting accommodation, um, and the other one is self-identifying for, uh, specifically for employer or future employer to meet the obligations of Section 5. And then going off of that question that they asked, as, as an employer, are there questions that they shouldn't be asked? Does that make sense to you? Yeah, I, I think very specifically, um, but, but you know, there isn't, but employers do. We have to be real about that. Um, and you also have to be prepared, I think, to um, take that question, turn it around as you know, positive as a way as you possibly can uh, to get around. Because um, I think uh, many employers are not very far along on the inclusion continuum I've spoken of before, and they're going to ask inappropriate questions. Um, I think that's just, it really need to prepare, be prepared, and you need to be pre prepared then to kind of uh, move past that question um, and to get it maybe the roots of, of, of what they're asking. Um, what, uh, what employers are permitted to ask, um, if I disclose a disability and I say that I have this type of challenge, then what they very well may do is, uh, um, and they may do this for all, all candidates, um, but they can ask, how could you perform? So if you have that specific disability, could you just like, tell me, okay, so you know, how particular process that's on the job, tell me that. And that's, that's most typical. That's what most employers are going to ask, and that's within that sort of safe uh, um, area um, for employers to ask, is that how would you perform then um, a, certain, a certain aspect of the of, um, But if they are there, but if an employer is asking personal questions about your your medical condition, meds you're on, um, then I would just uh, encourage them uh, and, and keep re-steering them to um, the accommodation. And this is the way that I would do my job in a positive way. Because you want the job, right? Ultimately, you want the job. You want to set an example. You want to blaze the path. And you want to be that person now that's successful in the organization so that that organization can grow beyond disability and, and disability is more normal, right? That, that's what we all want to move towards. That's the world we want to move towards, right? So, so you, you want to engage with them in a positive way and you really just want to keep steering them to this is the job that I have to do. Even though I have this disability, I know I can do it. No? Oh, that's, that's exactly uh, I'm going to group two questions here. One from Carolyn who asked, what happens when my employer finds out about my mental illness? Do I have to disclose? And then Allison in the room asks, uh, if you ask for sick time for an employment, can your super supervisor ask what kind of? Okay, so first of all, um, the, uh, whether you need to ask, what I'm, the first part of the finds out, you have, have to disclose that. No. no, and I don't know how your supervisor finds that out. And one of the things that we recommend, you don't disclose to everybody, so you want to be really careful at the workplace who you tell what. There are people who just tell everything about themselves and all their problems, and then they get upset that comes back. And, and so the best thing is not to be secretive or hide it, I don't mean that, but just not disclose to everyone of that information. But, and, and to go back to the supervisor, of what use 
would that be to the supervisor to know that you have uh, health? Um, unless I need an accommodation, that is the only way that it's relevant to both me and if it has something to do with my productivity is, is not what it needs to be um, or something of that sort. So not really appropriate for the supervisor to ask about a mental health. Um, although I totally agree with Mel, some people unfortunately position themselves in such a way that they tell everyone everything and um, again we're not as educated as, as they need to be in the workplace about mental health disabilities or disabilities in general and so these things do happen. Um, again if my supervisor did approach me and want to talk about it I would say that that information is, is really confidential and I prefer not to discuss it. Now, now one of the questions we get frequently we suspect somebody has a mental health impairment what do we do? And, and our advice is go along as you would for anyone else. If there's a conduct issue, if there's a performance, address it as that. You don't bring anything else. You don't say, do you have a disability? Do you have a medical? You can't say, you know, here's where your performance is, where, here's where we need it to be. How can we help? Kind of the same thing as asking about it. That way you're not assuming someone has. And that gives the employee then the opportunity that if they do have a mental health impairment at that time or, or not, sometimes they, that might be a good time to disclose. Advisors bring it up a performance or a conduct, and some employees close at that time and others won't, but we will direct employers to not go down that path until the employee actually says, yes, they do have a medical, and then talk. Um, Janet asks us, uh, if you have uh, resources for Canadians, you know, where can they look for information about accommodation? Sure. Well, what I would do is I would go straight to um, askjan.org, um, our website. Um, in your, in the um, question, box, I would put mental health. Uh, and that's probably, and then it'll pull up, uh, the way that our website works is it pulls up all the documents that we have. Uh, all of the compliance documents, the accommodation documents, um, et etiquette documents, it all comes up under that. Um, and typically the first publication is the one that is the most thorough and the number of uh, accommodations. We also have a searchable online uh, accommodation resource called SOAR. Um, and it's a tool that people also use uh, to search for a comment. Um, but ultimately, remember that our core service is um, people can call our 800 number, they can chat, they can use Skype, they can uh, email us, uh, they can use our office, our virtual office in Second Life and talk to our avatar um, if they're really uncomfortable about talking about their, their, their mental health condition, um, which happens. Um, so there's just a myriad of ways that, that one can contact us. And what we'll do is we coach you through the entire process. So, you know, this is what my employer said now. Now what do I do the next step, you know, um, kind of thing. And I think that that's where we can be really instrumental in supporting um, you on, on uh, calling all along. We have a case management tool. If you want to provide your name, uh, then we have a, we set up a case for you. If you're not really confident um, and, you're, and you don't, don't trust that your information will be kept, kept confidential, um, as, as some people um, are leery of, then you could just be anonymous. The only thing is that that creates issues that we don't know what your past record is, so we can't kind of start with you where we ended the last. But we'll definitely support you through that process and, and give you tips on, you know, this is what my employer said now. Is that appropriate? No, that's not appropriate, but let's let's try to approach it this way uh, to either get you that job or... Yeah, you know, I, you actually answered a different question. I think I stuttered, uh, but that was a really useful answer for all these people who seem to be looking for help just for them. Uh, but the question was uh, for Canada, the, the, the neighbors just to the north of us, uh, what, where, where can they look for resources about accommodations? Do you know or? Oh, well, 
There is, okay, so first of all, anyone globally can use our website. So all that information is available. Um, and we've worked with a number of countries. Um, Australia has replicated the JAN model wholesalely. Um, Taiwan, our, our publications. Um, South Korea, we've done some work there. Um, so there's a number of countries that we have worked with to replicate aspects of Japan has replicated our searchable accommodation online resource, our SOAR. Um, I understand that um, there is a group um, that is your uh, vocational rehabilitation group, almost had their name, but um, W something, in Canada, and I know that they assist. Um, and provide information that we provide. I believe it's proprietary. I think you either have to be a member. But um, ultimately, you can access any of our information online um, or email um, or use our searchable accommodation resource, that, that, that uh, SOAR uh, service that we have. Uh, and we do not uh, block requests from um, Nina asks, uh, and this is from an employer. If accommodation is requested in a format process that is outside of the employer's typical process, must the accommodation still be considered or granted? Can, can they give me an example of that? Uh, and oh, she's typing. So let's see, I, I think it's that they have an, a formal method of requesting accommodations. If I'm if I'm to guess, and it's someone going outside of that method, you know, not following well, the eternal process of a company. Right, so, so let's go back to our original conversation at the beginning. The EEOC only requires that a person disclose verbally and say medical condition and challenge at work. Uh, that is a disclosure. That is enough information that under the law, the employer has now an obligation to move forward with the interaction. So let's start there. Um, however, if, say, for instance, a person asks for it verbally, um, from their supervisor, which is not outside of our process. Our process is you go to human resources, um, to our disability specialist, um, and they haven't done that, and they haven't completed the paperwork. Um, then what I would suggest is that the person in HRER or DNI um, steer that person to the process, inform them of the process, and provide support that they need uh, in order to complete the process. So say, for, say, say it is somebody with an intellect, um, and uh, they're not really able to complete the forms that need to be completed. Um, the, the employer has that continued, uh, continuous obligation to assist that person with the accommodation process. Um, and it could be an alternate way of that we typically do. So once that person discloses, requests accommodation, it's obvious that this is, a, is an accommodation request, um, then the obligation moves to the employer. And at that point, regardless of what their policies and procedures are, they have been alerted um, by the regulations, um, and they need to move forward. And I'll just say that frontline supervisors need to be trained in, in, in what to do. If they receive a request, but it's not up to them to do that, then they direct that person to go to or they forward that. Right. That it just doesn't lie there on the supervisor's desk. That's where we can help employers, too. So what we developed over the last um, couple of years is called the Workplace Accommodation Toolkit. And we have sample policies and and procedures and also metrics for benchmarking and uh, monitoring your accommodation uh, program. Also, what we suggest is uh, best practice is having, um, at the very least, a spreadsheet tracking system, um, at, but also getting a accommodation tracking system so that you can track. What we find is that so many times problems are created when there's a new supervisor. 
um, when information isn't conveyed appropriately and timely to an individual who has the responsibility to ac directly accommodate, that's where we find really as a real um, a sore spot. Um, so uh, that's really important for accommodations to be tracked. We would encourage that. And we have samples. We can either provide you with the Excel spreadsheet um, as a sample, or we can provide you with a list of vendors that make those um, accommodation tracks. Um, we're starting to run out of time here, so I'm, I'm going to wrap this up pretty soon. Um, so we're going to do two last questions. Um, one comes from Xiao uh, Yen, and uh, they ask, uh, has there been any research findings on how to best approach disclosure, specifically on whether it turns out to be more favorable for the person with mental health issues to disclose at his or her workplace, not at all or selectively? And if selectively, uh, would you agree that it works well or best if they disclose only to the head of the organization uh, they're employed by or to their immediate supervisor, uh, for example? Uh, just, you know, the general research and the best way to do it. Is that out there or? And, and, and you know what, I'm, I'm not familiar with that type. Are, are you guys, David, do you, do you have anything there at, at Boston? Not, not that I am individually aware of, but there's so many, so many of us that someone sure. could be working on and I wouldn't know. Sure, maybe that's something that we could, we could look at together. Um, so so I, I, I'm, not, I'm not so much based in research. But I can certainly um, uh, say from the JAN perspective, um, we receive 47,000 consultations um, or conduct 47,000 consultations at least per year. Um, so we have a pretty decent grasp over what's happening. Um, and again, it's so situational um, that I think that that really is where the focus needs to be um, is on you know, the organization, their policies and practices. Um, I, I, I don't find anyone that would disclose you know, or somebody in the C-suite or in the VP suite, the vice president, um, not really appropriate. Um, I, 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 you know, it would be, I would look at the policies and procedures and I would follow them. If there is a subject matter expert, uh, that a consultant, an internal consultant on disability issues, that's the person that you really want to talk to. That's the person who knows the process. That's the person who's most sent. That's how I would make my determination. Um, I, I don't think on a large scale, um, understanding the dynamics out there are really helpful. I think you really need to focus on what your needs are first, understanding your needs, understanding how to request those needs and what kind of accommodations would work, and then understanding how you then connect with the organization. Where do you plug in? This information, I think that's and that's what makes it so situational and so challenging. I admittedly, for both the employer and doubt about it, but I, I think you really need to you, your advocate, family members uh, supporting you need to sort that out. Uh, those determinations based on your situation, on your company, on their processes. That's what I. No, the only thing I would say generally want to go to HR, not your supervisor, about the diagnosis get, getting out because the person whoever's done that keeps that information confidential, needs that, that medical, and yes, there is a disability on, then they file that away, and that, that is kept confidential. No one else has that. That is probably the best. Now, as I said earlier, sometimes a supervisor involved in the accommodation process. Say someone uh, wants to work from home, and, and HR says, well, you know, we don't see a problem with that. But the supervisor involved to make sure that's really something that's going to be effective, 
and to know that the person's working at home and, and not, um, but they don't need to know anything about the medicine, the uh, limitations, which could, uh, you know, lots of different disabilities that men have. And I think it's important. I think you're absolutely right, Mel, and I think it's important to, to, to note that. So, and then that HR person, person in employer relations or in DNI should only be sharing information on as need to know basis, which means no medical information, only the functional information that that person needs in order to provide that. And then just very quickly too, um, so the group in Canada that has a similar service, but I think it is proprietary for pay, um, is the um, Job Accommodation Service. We worked with them a couple of decades ago, and they're sponsored by the Canadian Council on Research. Well, uh, we are out of time. And I wanted to thank everyone in the room for trying to help each other out because we were not able to get to even half the questions today. Um, and I want to thank both you, uh, Lou, and Mel for answering the questions everyone had and, and really everyone for attending. Uh, thank you again, everyone, and we look forward to seeing you next time. Have a good day. Appreciate the opportunity. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye now.